For important disclosure information, please visit acgwealthmanagement.com forward slash podcast disclosure. Hello and welcome to ACG Wealth Management's podcast, Beer Markets. I'm Bobby Moyer and I'm joined with my colleague, Sandy Wiggins. How are you doing, Bobby? Good, good. And we also have Dylan Mills here, our producer of our podcast. Thanks for being with us here, Dylan. So I guess we'll start off. I'm Sandy with our, our beer of the day here. Uh, let's, well, actually, it's August 15th, so we're right at the middle of the month. Uh, we're after the close, another tough day. Um, maybe beer will taste good tonight, um, given the, the, the sell-off we're seeing in the market. Uh, I'm drinking a Blue Mountain Brewery Full Nelson uh, Virginia Pale Ale. Uh, I, I don't know, Sandy, if you've ever been up to Blue Mountain, up to the the place up in Charlottesville or outside Charlottesville. What an awesome view! What a what a great place! Fun place to go in the summer. You know, good food. Um, really, really good place. I, I like their. I think this is their flagship beer, the Full Nelson. Um, but it's it's a good beer. It's a good IPA, Virginia Pale Ale, I guess. Maybe not a technical IPA. Burst of American hop flavor, um, citrus floral, highly seasonable. They say. Um, but it's a good beer. Um, I enjoy it, and I also enjoy visiting the place and, and having some of their beers up there and sitting outside looking at the, the beautiful scenery in Charlottesville. Well, Bobby, I'm, I'm never uh, disappointed in your research and, and knowledge of the beers you drink. I am not, uh, can't give you the, the details of, of too much of the beer I'm drinking, other than it's from a great state I used to live in, Michigan. Uh, Bell's Two-Hearted IPA. It's named after a, a fishing spot up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Um, so I'm, I'm, uh, and and with the heat we've had in Virginia, a nice summer Michigan day would be uh, would be a welcome a welcome change from the uh, 9,500 degree weather we've been having. So drink up. Yeah, that's a good beer too, Sandy. I, I enjoy that one. They also make a low calorie version of that called what is it lighthearted uh, IPA um, good creative name too but it's a it's a good beer I play on that but sometimes when I'm, I'm watching the calories I like the, the low calorie version of that but good selection today enjoy so you know Sandy last time we about a month ago we we finished and we were something we were we ended the, the show talking about the dollar and the dollar was beginning to weaken and you know what we said was we want to continue to watch this and keep our eyes on it to see what was going to happen with the dollar. And I think the story leading into um, last month with the, the weakening dollar was the fact that other central banks across the, across the globe were beginning to raise rates or continuing to raise rates where the, the Fed was beginning to go the other way and reduce rates uh, or maybe not reduce, but pause. And, um, you know, they did raise rates in July after our meeting. Uh, after their meeting last time after our podcast. Uh, but since then, since July 17th, um, we've actually seen the, the U.S. dollar significantly strengthen. Um, so a significant reversal of the dollar. I don't know if I have a lot of good reasons for that. I think part of it, and we'll get into too much details, was the Bank of Japan changed their policy rate. I think it was July 28th or end of July, allowing a little bit more flexibility in their yield on, on Japanese bonds. And that caused that day alone, the, the yen to fall over 1% versus the dollar. Um, and that makes up a piece of you know the basket. So that, that's definitely part of it. And then, you know, the Fed, you know, raising rates, but, you know, we saw, you know, 
the, the dollar strengthen here and, and that has impacted returns of international index? Yeah, the, the IFA, which measures international uh, investments, uh, has underperformed the S&P 500, and that makes sense. You know, anytime we're... Yeah, 300 basis points. Yeah. Anytime we're repatriating profits back into the into the dollar and the dollar strengthening relative to local currencies, that's, that's, that's the impact. And so when we think about investing internationally, you always want to think about not only the companies that we might be investing in outside of the U.S., but what's the relative relationship between the currency, the local currency, whether it's a euro, say in Europe, bringing those profits back into the U.S. and converting them back into dollars. There are two ways you can either gain or lose uh, when we invest internationally. So a strengthening dollar has not helped um, international investors uh, in, in developed as well as in emerging markets. Yeah, and that's part of the risk with, you know, why, you know, international investing is more risky. You know, you have geopolitical risk, different rule of law and, and, you know, control and different things going on overseas. But the currency is a big part. And you can see that with, you know, when you get a surprise like the Bank of Japan saw, you know, with their change and, and a big currency move of over 1% in, in one day uh, was significant. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't have a lot more to say on, on that if you have anything to add feel free, but we ended last time and it was something I was interested in watching and, you know, complete reversal. So a little bit of surprise. Um, I, I don't know how much more dollar strength we have though, personally. I, if I had to take a, a trade one way or the, uh, you know, other the end of the year, I would have to think that the dollar would weaken from here. Uh, but, you know, who knows? It's, there, there's a lot of cross currents going on that could cause the dollar to continue to strengthen. Well, we, we also have the um, Jackson Hole um, conference coming up. We'll hear a little bit more from the Fed. Well, we've got a September uh, Fed meeting, and those two, th you know, events could impact interest rates and therefore impact the dollar one way or the other. So, it'll it'll there's always something interesting to uh, to be looking out uh, into the future to see how it's going to impact things. You have to bring up the Fed, don't you? I think, I think that's your way of, you know, just throwing daggers at me <laughs> and just keep continuing to, to show my, how wrong I was on, on the Fed's decision. I'm not calling you out. Yeah, you know, well, you, you may be a little sensitive about it. Yeah, I'll admit it. I was wrong. We talked about this before. The, um, you know, the, right now the markets are calling for November. I believe it's, it's around a 30% chance of a hike. Um, so that's 30% chance, but it's also a 70% chance they pause. The interesting thing, since we're on the Fed, and I'm sure everybody's tired of hearing the Fed, I, I believe that, you know, if this was a day or so ago, the probabilities or the forecast were five cuts in 2024 from the Fed. I, I just, I cannot believe that. And that just seems like there continues to be a disconnect. So maybe we get a pause, no more hikes from here. We'll see. We, we might have to get into this a little bit when we talk about where the economy's headed and the employment picture and inflation. But right now it looks like um, no more, but that could change. Jackson Hole, September is pretty much off the table at this point, you know, barring any surprises. Uh, maybe November might be on the table, but still unlikely. And then talking about five cuts next year, uh, I just don't, I have a hard time with that. Yeah, and I don't, you know, everybody likes lower interest rates, but for what reason? Yeah. And, and if we have to cut five times, it means something significantly has weakened in the economy. And so this concept of a soft landing wouldn't it be great? No more rate increases this year, one or two or three reductions next year, just to kind of keep things moving along and 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 
and and um, grease the machine, so to speak, that we continue to, to have a strong economy. So if, if inflation continues to come in, I think I'd be supportive of the Fed cutting rates slowly just to become less restrictive in a lowing, lowing without having a need to do it. But I don't see five. And, you know, we'll have to see how it all shakes out. But I definitely don't see five. But, but cutting a little bit would be, um, I, I think I could understand that. The only way I don't understand that is I, I just don't think the Fed has any reason or desire to cut rates if unemployment is under 4%. You know, it just was, is a hard, the Fed could look at themselves and be like, why would we cut when labor is that tight? That doesn't make a lot of sense either. Uh, so until you see something moving away on the unemployment picture, I don't care how low inflation goes and, and how restrictive they are. If labor doesn't loosen up, it, it would be a hard sell. And it's hard to have a recession with labor tight. So I don't think you have a recession, which means things wouldn't be that bad if you see a, a um, unemployment rate below four. Time will tell, right? Yes, yes. Um, so we're seeing some volatility here. You know, you know, we're as I mentioned, we're into the close on the fifteenth. And we talked about the VIX last time, yeah, and, and expecting it to uh, to pick up. Yeah, that's that's right. And, and you're seeing, you know, markets sell off a little bit today. Um, you know, the, the S and P, the Nasdaq, the Russell two thousand small cap, all off one percent. You know, fortunately, the S&P is only off about 3% off its 52-week high, which, you know, hit, hit a high on July 31st of the year. This year, we were up about 19.5%. We're down to about 16.5% today. The Nasdaq's off about, about 5%. The interesting, I think, about the market, though, comes back to interest rates. You go back where the Nasdaq's high for the year was on July 19th. The 10-year was yielding 3.75. Today, we hit 4.22. So that's not even a month that you saw the 10-year move almost 50 basis points pretty quickly. I guess we shouldn't be surprised then to see the NASDAQ fall 5% as you, you typically get as rates go higher, the NASDAQ more growthier um, tends to, to sell off a little bit. And all yields across the yield curve are about 4%. And the lowest yielding is that 10-year at 422. Everything else in the yield curve is higher than 4.22% and the six month being the highest at 5.51. So interest rates have definitely moved much higher over the last three weeks. And I think that's where some of the pain is coming in the markets. Yeah, you know, the cost of capital drives everything and, and it makes sense that with the Fed increasing rates, overall things would move higher. Um, you know, we've had the US, the ripple effect of all these rate increases is the bond, you know, downgrade? Some discussion around that probably makes some sense. Yeah, you want to hit it? Want me to? Yeah, jump in. Yeah, August first. I was having a good time on the beach, um, and what do I see come across? Fitch downgrades U.S. debt from AAA to AA plus, and the markets didn't like that too much. Uh, you know, I think it was a little bit surprising. You know, maybe the timing of it. You know, given what we had the debt ceiling. Debate. Months have passed. Right, and, and now come out with it. You know, I don't know, Sandy. How important do you think this really is? I'll give you my opinion, but what are your thoughts? Well, I I, I think um, at first everybody kind of shrugged it off, no big deal. It, you know, maybe it's not that important. I th I think I think it's more important than maybe the market or the commentators are are giving giving it, and not so much about the timing of it or even the initial impacts of the downgrade. Is there something else going on that that you know we need to be keeping an eye on? And I think it's going to take some time to figure that out. 
Yeah, you know, maybe we can spend some time talking about debt and, and credit ratings and that sort of thing. So there's obviously different levels of credit ratings, right? AAA being the highest credit rating. And, you know, I think in, in the most basic terms, you would say, what is the probability of quality of strength and, and getting your money back, right? And there's a couple of components of that. When you have debt and there's a coupon tied to it, I'm going to borrow you know, money off you, Sandy, for five years. I'm going to pay you back twice a year for five years. What are the odds of me paying you back, right? I don't think there's any chance in my lifetime, and I could be wrong, I've been wrong before, we all know, that the U.S. absolutely misses a debt payment, right? I mean, of them actually not making a payment. Now, politicians have weaponized the debt ceiling, and that could restrict a payment being late. But I don't think there's ever been, even this year, a risk of saying, okay, we're not going to pay interest on that debt. So from a risk standpoint of not getting your money back, I, I just, I don't, I think the U.S. is still a very, very, very high quality lender and is the ultimate place to be to, to keep your money. Now, is it possible that some of this debt might, might have a payment late by a week? And that's a technical default and that's a serious breach of your credit to some degree. But I also, it's not like bankruptcy, that if you have a company that goes out of business and you literally don't get your your, pay, your interest payment, but you don't get your principal back either, I don't think there's a risk of that anytime soon. I mean, I, I couldn't even think of the scenario for that to happen. We, there's so many wet things for us to do, and politicians, when things get bad enough, will pass the debt ceiling. They will you know, allow us to- Finally make the right decision. To, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many reasons. And then there's how many other countries out there I don't know the exact number. I, I looked at the I looked at the names of countries that Fitch still has that are AAA, and of all those company countries, I would still trust the U.S. more. So I know it's not a relative thing like currencies. I'm going to own this over that. But when you look at some of the AAA, you know, countries that are out there, and even Germany, for instance, great country, a lot of a lot of you know they have I'm sure able to pay their debt, but I still trust the U.S. more. Than, than Germany and a lot of that's probably the biggest country of the other triple A's. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of bears out there. And if you're a bear, this is one thing I'm hearing people pound the tables on about our currency. And I think it's a deal. I think it's a, a semi big deal, but I, I think it's irrelevant too, to some degree that, you know, a lot of the reasons why the US, you know, people like to have the US, um, people buy US credit is the size of the market, the liquidity of the market. Our, our military, right? We have the ability to fight and our country is not getting, you know, we're a very strong country. We're protected by two oceans on two sides and generally friendly countries on the other sides. We're a phenomenal country that's gonna to continue to pay their debt. So I don't know, I, I just don't think it's, it's a huge impact. Maybe more, um, I don't wanna say for show and, and a little bit of politics involved there a little bit. Fitch also came out today and said they think they're gonna to have to downgrade some banks, some banks including JP Morgan, uh, probably the, the best bank out there uh, from a credit rating standpoint too. So maybe uh, those people at Fitch are just, you know, wanting to rattle up the, rattle something up a little bit. Well, yeah, and so you talk about the US government's ability to pay back its debt. You think about, you know, that's government debt. You think about corporate debt. There's obviously degrees of credit quality within corporate debt. JP Morgan is not going to do anything that's that's detrimental to their their ability to, to borrow money. So, you know, on one hand, I think Fitch and, and anybody else who's a rating agency 
maybe they're just trying to remind us all that, that they're out there and, and they're, they're doing their job. On the other hand, you know, I, I just wonder if this might not be something along the lines of the continuation of the bank uh, failures that we saw earlier this year, interest rates continuing to go higher, the pressure that creates on debt. And, you know, maybe there is a little bit of legitimacy to what Fitch is doing, but the timing of it and, you know, downgrading large banks like JP Morgan that are super solid. Do you remember 2008? Is that your, anything happened that year? Yeah. Do you remember how the rating agencies did there with a, all yeah, those CLOs they, that were AAA rated. Yeah, they missed zero. that one. And now they're I think they're overreacting on the other end of the equation. Yeah, I guess get their name out there. They're they're five minutes of fame. But I'll tell you one thing though, the sell-off, this sell-off or some other sell-off, people are gonna be drawing this to a catalyst because we always gotta find a catalyst. And this happened on August first. When was the high of the market for the year? July thirty first. So let's all, you know, throw the catalyst out there that this is the reason why. And I, I don't think that's the case. I think the markets were probably a little bit overbought. August is a, a kind of a, a weird month, right? I mean, August- People are on vacation, not a lot of volume. Last, last month of the summer, it, it's, all, it's usually a hard month to, um, to factor in and to really know where the markets are gonna go in August. So I'm not, I'm not sure this was completely relevant to that sell-off. You know, obviously it, either a coincidence or not, it was the day after we hit the high for the year so far that um, this came out. So maybe there's relevance to that. I, I'm not, I'm not buying it, but you know. I well, so let's put a, let's put a wrapper on what we've just talked about. One, you mentioned 2008. We're not in any, any, um, anywhere close to that, that type of a, of a, of a dynamic. I think you were just talking about how the rate didn't do anything in terms missed of these people and went to zero. Right, yeah. exactly. It was, it was an example. Yeah, I don't think right. we're in 2008. Right. And the other part of it is, as you just said, the market hit all time, well, hit, hit reasonable highs in in July on July 31st. We've had a great run. It's been a phenomenal year already, much better than I think many people predicted. There's going to be some profit taking. You need a catalyst to do it. August is is a good month to do it. There's no there's low volume. We have our reason. Now let's let's you know maybe we want to talk a little bit about expectations moving forward. What's the economy looking like? What's housing looking like? Let's talk about a few of those things. Yeah, I think I'm I'm most interested in seeing you know some of these underperforming sectors and and how what we see from a performance in the second half of the year energy um, you know, energy's been getting beat up a little bit, even though energy uh, oil prices are high. You know, some of it we could get into the slowdown in China and their slowing economy and how that could impact um, oil prices. But energy was a phenomenal performer last year, uh, has underperformed this year. It's a small piece of the index, three, four percent. It could go up significantly and the market go down. Uh, but I just I continue to like the companies and their capital controls, the the supply and, and the supply and demand imbalance there too, that we need to continue to um, pump oil. You know, Saudi Arabia um, wants to continue to restrict or make prices go higher. Um, I think the, the the White House, President Biden has run out of weapons. You know, they, they released, you know, some from the reserve and for some reason continue not to, you know, refill it even when oil got down to, you know, 70 or, or the mark that they called still not, you know, so I don't know how many, how many more, options they have um, now a slowing economy 
could result in lower oil, but I'm interested in that. I'm interested in some of the other commodities, the chemicals, uh, what that all looks like. And these are the sectors that value sectors that underperformed. I mean, I, I don't know how much I love utilities and staples, but um, technology could bounce and, and end up doing all right. Um, the chips are doing okay. And Nvidia, you know, has a rally they report this week. Um, so, you know, the second half of the year, I think we've got to continue to, you know, just see what's going on with the economy. And you look at, you know, what is the Atlanta GDP now model, right? Not a forecast model as Ann Saunders is, is quick to, to talk about that. You know, their GDP growth, what is it, Sandy? Five, five point, you know, five, uh, 5% plus. Yeah. So, you know, you're looking at uh, a third quarter GDP of 5% plus. We've had three straight quarters of the S&P being up 7%. Does that sound like a recession to you? No, and uh, with strong economic growth and, yeah, and, and a tight labor market. 2.4, 3.5% unemployment growth. I mean, this seems like a, a, a positive third quarter. We got retail sales this morning, which beat expectations. Uh, you know, the consumer just continues to pound away. And I think you're right. I think the unemployment, the labor market is a big reason for that. It, it's really, really hard for a recession to come when people have a job can get a job and aren't worried about not having a job. And I made it and a lot of other market strategists have, not that I'm a strategist, I guess, a lot of other people talk about consumer debt increasing and that's worrisome. But people will continue to run up debt as long as they know they have a job and can get a job and are gonna to continue to make money. So maybe it's not as big of a deal as, as I thought now, but at some point, right? You gotta pay, you gotta pay, pay the piper. Right, yeah. and higher rates, all these things going on. And if, if the labor market does break, it doesn't have to be now. It could be a year from now, it could be 18 months from now. That's going to have to come out of the system at some point. Uh, so worrisome, but that's, is that worrisome today? I, I'm not sure that it is. It, it might be worrisome in the future when, when all this thing unwinds, if it does. But uh, right now, as long as employment is rolling along, it's, um, it looks pretty good. Well, and we, we need to continue to remember that we look at the market, we look at the data on a daily basis. And if you think about, though, the the actual pace of this, it's it's a much longer time frame. And where I'm going with this is you talked about consumer debt, you know, moving up, moving higher. When is that going to get paid back? It's going to get paid back perhaps when interest rates are lower. Right. I mean, the economy is still chugging along. People can continue to borrow to a point. And we apparently haven't gotten to the point where interest rates are too high for people to continue to want to spend money. Yeah. And so it, it'll it'll take some time and there's an ebb and flow that, that goes into this. But you know, the other thing that that relates to expectations, we talk about five percent plus GDP here. Let's talk about China and what's going on with China because ultimately when we look at at uh, at their GDP growth and their forecast, it's it's not a rosy picture. Yeah, and timely, timely co co commentary. Last night, uh, the 14th, uh, while I was sleeping, China central bank unexpectedly reduced their policy interest rates um, as they're you know trying to ramp up stimulus to support their economy. And it's it's a weak economy right now, and continues to surprise many on how weak their economy has been, and really is in deflation. And this is something that some have talked about, 
that, you know, well, let's bring it back to us and then bring it back to China, right? Because we get a lot of our goods from China. We look at our inflation number, CPI. Where do we see a lot of the inflation is in services? People are wanting experiences as a result of coming out of COVID. They're buying less products and they're enjoying more service. And so, you know, exactly right. Taylor Swift, the billion dollar lady, you going to see her this summer? No, but I I know her tickets are pretty pricey. Yeah, and and I think that's a lot of music's been a big thing. And uh, there's a lot going on in the the services side of it, hotels and vacations. Air travel. Right, and goods though come from China generally, right? And our goods have our- We're not buying as much. Right, and their prices are down, right? So. This all works together and China's economy is struggling. We're not, there's not as much demand for goods here as there was. Their prices are falling over there. There are a lot of items in, in deflation. They export to us. They're exporting deflation to our shores, which is able to be good for us from a bringing down CPI. Deflation is point, good. Right, deflation is not good. I don't want to be clear on that, but, and really bad in China. So. If people aren't buying goods from China, that's really hurting their economy. And it's hurting a lot of parts of their economy, including the property housing sector. Yeah, we've we've got some data here that, that, what is it, 90% of the Chinese population now own a home or or some crazy number and and much higher than I would have expected. And with a failing economy, the wealth effect is going the wrong direction. There's a large segment of the Chinese population that is is feeling squeezed on the value of their residential uh, properties. You've got some less than favorable things going on with real estate developers in China and some limitations there on their ability to buy, borrow and service their debt, which yeah, is hurting. Just, just Monday, um, early Monday, you know, first thing Monday, you had Country Guard and one of their private real estate developers warned that it could lose up to, you know, what is six billion or seven billion. Um, in the first six months of this year, I think that the Chinese uh, halted trading their debt on the markets over there because of the risk there. So there's clearly some things going on in the property markets. And we know here the, how the wealth effect impacts um, how you feel and sentiment. And that's what, what you're talking about is if, if values are going down and home values are going down and you know there's not a lot of work or deflation, that's not good for the Chinese economy. So I think China continues to disappoint, misses on expectations retail sales, industrial production, all these numbers that have come out recently are missing. Um, the unemployment rate of 16 to 23 year olds. 20%? Is 20%. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, that's not good. And, and I don't think you're gonna have any social unrest there, right, yet. But how did it all start in the Arab Spring and some of these other places, these young generations get together and you know, that, that that's a, could be a problem for China's leadership to make sure that you know, people, sentiment's good. There's a lot of people over there and they need to make sure they're taking care of that. Yeah, so what what have we missed or not talked about that we want to make sure we cover today? Yeah, you know, I think the one area we could talk about, we talked about this maybe two, three months ago. I mentioned, you know, I thought Home Builders was a, an interesting um, place to be in the market right now. And it's kind of a counter counterintuitive given higher rates that we talked about. Uh, but interestingly enough, every... What the 45 days after the calendar, large investors, hedge funds have to file with the SEC their positions and what they what they own and a change. And it's today, and it's an exciting day. This is a fun day. You really get to look inside under the hood. Now it's delayed, right? You don't know what happened in the last 45 days, but this is as of the end of the quarter. They have to report today. And Berkshire Hathaway, you know, everybody knows Warren Buffett's group. 
you don't know who's buying it. He's got other portfolio managers there. But they came out um, today and announced that they uh, took new investments in three major U.S. home builders, DR Horton, Lennar, and VR. Um, and VR is Ryan Homes, people would know around here. It's the parent company. All these stocks are up 30% year to date. Um, so that's that's an interesting play for, for old Warren or his, his, his firm or his company to go out and be buying the home builders. And I, I continue to think it's um, it's an interesting play. I, I think home builders can do very well because of the supply and demand imbalance. You don't have a lot of inventory of resale homes coming out there. I mean, who really wants to repurchase, you know, go sell their home at a 3% mortgage and get a new one at 7.2, I think it is now. Uh, that's just that sticker shock for a lot. And I think people were getting used to interest rates um, in the 6% range. But now we talked about how interest rates have gone up since July 19th. That's going to translate into higher mortgage costs. A little bit of concern, I think, where the current rates are today, but I'm not sure they're going to stay where they are. Um, but I think home builders are are really doing a phenomenal job. New home sales up 24% year over year, um, still below the peak significantly, um, but they're able to now manage costs. We talked about good yep. inflation um, and prices are still high. So I, I like home builders. I think, you know, they could be, I don't think they're overbuilding, which is another good thing. They could be slow and, and only deal with certain individuals, which, you know, will hurt overall revenues potentially. Um, you know, one of their popular incentives is interest rate buy downs. Um, so I, I'm interested in that. I'm, I'm very interested that Berkshire Hathaway made that purchase. Yeah, well, you know, he, he's a great investor and sees sees things that others others don't. I think the home builders is is a great spot. Um, anything else you want to throw at before we wrap it up? No, I think um, a lot, always a lot going on, even when you don't think there's a lot going on. There's there's a lot of cross currents out there. I think the, the next two weeks of August might be quiet, but it'll be interesting to, to see how we finish out out the month. And, and then we've got Jackson Hole. And Jackson when's Hole that? Uh, was last week before Labor Day. Yep. Um, and then we get back from Labor Day, always fun to start. The, the business new year. That's yep. right. And then, um, you know, the, the, the Fed meeting the 13th, almost right after that, and almost more exciting football season kicking off. So, you know, We'll finish off these last two weeks of August, the doldrums of, of August, the hot humidity, and maybe some market volatility, unfortunately, and then gear up um, for September, and, and we'll see how, you know. Reconnect. Yeah, that's great. Well, thanks for your time today, Sandy. Yeah, likewise. Have a great one. You too. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Beer Markets. For important disclosure information, please visit acgwealthmanagement.com forward slash podcast disclosure.